0: witness. This is one of those spiritual words that can be so loaded. For many, it's a scary word that brings up religious wounds of guilt and shame. Others have abandoned this idea entirely to simply practice good works. But what if we just stop, take a breath, and start over? What if being a witness has more to do with who we are? than what we're supposed to do. What can we learn from the forebearers of our faith, the Bible, and Jesus himself about telling his story with our words and our lives? It's time we redeem, reframe, and reclaim this word. It's time to become a witness. Well, good morning, Element. We are so glad that you're here with us, in, both in the warehouse and online. My name is Bobby Triplett. I'm an owner here, and I'm excited to be sharing uh, a message with you today. I'm going to call it, Can I Get a Witness? And I feel like there's got to be a little, what? you know, like, you know, Kirk Franklin in the house or something when I say that, but... Uh, I'm excited to share this. We've been in the middle of this series, and we're on week three, and the first week Melody was talking about what it meant to be a witness and why it matters to the world. And then last week, Brett taught us about how we all have a story to tell, and that those stories matter, and that they're important, and there's a beginning, there's an explosion, and then there's a transformation, and that this telling of this tale, this witness of what God has done in us, uh, is more important than you would know. Right, And today I want to ask us a question, and think about this idea from a different, just, just twist it just a second. And I want to start with this question. What if you are, to borrow from Brett for a moment, the explosion in someone else's story? What if you and I are meant to be that turning point, that explosion in somebody else's story? What if we are the catalyst for their change, or the fulcrum on which the weight of their world is pivoted, if even just... For a minute right even if it's just temporary even if we don't get to see how the story plays out what if our interaction what if our uh, interruption if you will matters and what if that's the point now don't hear what I'm not saying I'm not talking about you have to get friendship bracelets and BFF tattoos and bind yourself to some random stranger forever well I mean you might I don't know we don't know how these things end Um, but what I'm talking about is this what if we are called to be the part Or maybe just a momentary or even a temporal part in somebody's story? What if our interaction, our engagement, our deliberate presence is the intersection of their transformation, their hopeful revolution, or even maybe their immediate point of salvation? And what if, what if this is something we have all been called to do? Our memory verse for this series has been this, it's Acts 1-8, and it should be on the screen here in fancy animated version. Uh, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? And that sounds a little daunting, doesn't it, when you first hear it. it sounds like, I might want to get some qualifications before I dive in and mess some people up, right? Like, oh man, I do Yeah, you want me to do what, to where, and who, right? But what if maybe we've just been overcomplicating it a little bit? And that's my idea for today. So before we dive in to the heart of where I want to go, will you guys just pray with me one more time? God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that your word uh, is constantly alive, it's constantly changing, and it's constantly changing us. I pray, God, that as we um, engage your heart, that... God, that my words would be your words and that your words would be my words. And then when we hear this message, God, that we can be changed from the inside out too. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. When I think about the word witness, a bunch of things come to mind. The first one comes to mind is evangelism explosion. Anyone ever know what that is? Anyone ever hear? I got one hand. Anybody? I got a couple hands. Can I get a third hand? Anybody? No. All right you didn't grow up southern baptist apparently because southern baptist this was the jam in the late 80s early 90s ee or was what the cool kids called it if there were cool kids calling it anything uh evangelism explosion was this idea it was a campaign that many churches around the world were using to teach the art of witnessing how to boil down your jesus story in the 90 quick seconds right how to create systematic witnessing events or exercises for your church Everyone shows up on Monday night, and then we go knock on a bunch of doors. Right? Um, how do you, you know, engage your community with your story, how, and then how to track how many people you converted and were able to bring into your church fold? Right? I don't think the heart of this was bad by any means. I think it was good, teaching people how to tell your story and not be afraid to share it with anybody. But what happened, or at least in my circle of friends, was the following: we got homework. It was a binder, like a three-ring binder. We had to memorize, and like, what sophomore in high school wanted to do extra homework? Not this guy, right? Not any guy, really. It was a competition. Oh, yeah, well, I knocked on 14 doors. Oh, I knocked on 15. Liar! You can't lie for Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, don't, I honestly, I don't think I knocked on any doors, but I told a lot of people I did. I, I looked at people as a task, right? I have to tell, like, and then, like, this... this um, anxiety would come over me, like, oh, did I talk to enough people? Did I tell my story right? Like, it was about, you know, be a robot. The creep factor grew 100%. Like, really, like, it was like you were, like, trolling for witnessing. Like, it was weird. Like, I don't know. And then we as a church, we, ex- we celebrated the activity loop of EE. But I can't help but think we, we missed the point on what it was trying to teach us. A couple years later, I was, a, I was a pastor at a church here in town uh, before Element, and I had gone to one of my favorite smoothies places that's no longer around, Robex, if you know it, like God rest it. The, um, and I walked into Robex, and I'm ordering my, my, my smoothie, and I'm walking out, and, and a, a guy, probably in his early 20s, uh, comes up to me. He's like, excuse me, sir, do you have the time? And I look at my watch, he's like, because no one knows how much time they have left. Do you know where you're going to go when you're going to die? And I was like, uh, what? like, what? Like, he just was ready, diving in. Like, I just thought he wanted to literally know what time it was. And I was a pastor, and I wanted to punch this guy. Like, you didn't even say, hey, man, what's your name? Oh, what's my name? You know, just, there was none of that. It was conversion. It was creep factor. It was activity loop. It was task. And I walked away from there feeling like, how many times have I done that to somebody, right? And like, and if I feel this grossed out, and I'm on the inside, like how does somebody who's not even aware of what's going on, how freaked out are they right now? Have you ever felt like that before? Like you were just a box to be checked, a piece of spiritual meat, right? Like a notch on somebody's conversion bedpost? And how did that make you feel, right? How did that make you react? I got to laugh on that one. I was <laughs> laughing when I wrote that. Uh, probably like this. This is how it probably made you feel like, whatever you're selling, buddy, I'm not buying. You know what I mean? Basically, you're so completely turned off. And even if it was the greatest news in the world, which it is, like there is this adverse reaction, this foul taste in your mouth, and and you're not coming in for a second bite. He didn't notice me. He didn't even ask my name. There's something else that comes to my mind when I think of the word witnesses. uh, The phrase, don't badger the witness, or no more witnesses, your honor. Anyone else think of those things? Which instantly makes me think of the truth. You can't handle the truth. That that has nothing to do with the message, but that's where my mind goes. And though that last thought might not be very helpful, the idea of witnessing here is based on someone who saw something, who noticed something important, and then speaks to it or speaks about it. And I don't think conversion rate or systematic theology is what Jesus was after when he called us to be witnesses to the world. I think what he might in part be calling us to is this is to notice, only maybe not in the way that we expect. One of my all-time favorite verses uh, that I've ever preached out of, and uh, I think because it's so simple and because it matters, is in Matthew 5, right? And he, Jesus is talking to his disciples about like, what he's asking them to be. And you might have heard this before, it's the salt and light verse, right? And he says here in Matthew 4, 16, or 5, 14 through 16, excuse me, here's another way to put it, you're here to be light. Bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. as public on a city on a hill. And if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, hear this, you'll prompt other people to open up with God. This generous father in heaven why do you think he makes such a big deal about this being salt which was the verse before this and then light two things that accentuate and reveal what is going on around you salt in itself is just salt right light in itself can blind you but with light and salt you feel and see and taste and notice so much that you would never have done it in the dark or if it was bland does that make sense the analogy that he's giving you right there Why do you then think he points to us being generous with our lives by opening up with others? Do you think it's because he's looking for us to come up with one more program or give us one more chore to do? Or, and here's where I'm basing this thought on, right? Or do you think it's because the Savior of the world, because he's the Savior of the world, he might just know where his world is hurting most? There is this fear right now that I, I believe that permeates everything. This fear of not belonging, not mattering, not being noticed. I mean, it's in our culture everywhere. I mean, can you feel it? Like your opinion, does it matter? Your voice, does it matter? What you do, does it matter? I don't know if anybody is going to take a notice. And then, though I think it's blaringly obvious in our culture today with all of these cyber celebrities or stars or whatever, the bullying, the the pictures, the climbing the, the social media ladder, all this stuff, this frantic busyness to be noticed, I, though it's prevalent in our culture now, I think it's always been a part of our broken humanity, right? I think it's always been something that we as, as humans have been wanting to know, like, will, will you notice, will you care, do you see me, right? We want so badly to become something worth noticing that we forgot how to belong to the one who fearfully and wonderfully made us in the first place. And what if God's answer to this loneliness, this endless toiling, this reckless, striving human pandemic of grappling for attention has always, what if his cure to it has always just been a little salt and a little light? Think about this for a minute. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 8, and then I'm going to skip down to verses 40 to 42, It's a big, long message, and I'm going to start at the beginning of it and finish it for you. Jesus, in verse 5, sent his 12 harvest hands, his disciples, his closest people that he was investing his life into, out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confuse people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. And then he goes on, we are intimately linked in this harvest work. Anyone who accepts what you do, accepts me, the one who sent you. And anyone who accepts what I do, accepts the Father who sent me. Accepting a messenger of God is as good as being God's messenger. Accepting someone's help is as good as giving someone help. This is a large work I've called you into, so don't be overwhelmed by it hear this. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who's thirsty. For instance, the smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice and you won't lose out on a thing. Jesus tells us here to start small and start here. And do you see his example? Just give a cool cup of water. But here's the thing, right? Bam. Just giving out random water though nice and generous, will have a little lasting effect on someone unless they're what? Thirsty. Unless they're thirsty. And how do you know if they're thirsty or not? We have to notice, don't we? And I think that that is the game changer idea right there. If someone notices someone and then engages And then needs get met, lives get changed, explosions happen, transformation follows. I was thirsty, someone noticed, they engaged me with a cool cup of water, and two things instantly happened. One, I found out that I mattered, and I'm no longer thirsty. I just finished reading uh, Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights. All right, all right, all right. Anybody read that? Like. It's a hilarious story. I can't recommend it enough. If you get offended easily, don't read it. The, um, it's, but it is one of those beautiful like kind of autobiographies telling his story, his memoirs, if you will. And I noticed something so huge amidst all the hijinks and hilarity of his life. And it is, I mean, I've, I've never wanted a book not to end more in my life. It was that much fun. And he told stories and he mentioned people by name as he's telling all of his journeys, right? his, his coming of age. He's And he's literally talking about random so-and-so in this place and this guy over here. And he's saying their first and last name, the ones who probably wished he didn't say their first and last names and the ones that, oh my gosh, this guy remembered me over 40 plus years probably of storytelling, right? He's telling this, this story about random strangers, ordinary along the way that, here's the deal, that God used to shape him or to guide him or to lead him towards a place of belonging. And every time he's told a story, something in me would like tingle a little bit with this harmonious reverberation saying, yes, that's, that's huge. Like him telling the story and mentioning the person who helped him or who inspired him who or hurt him or spurred him or whatever it was that mattered along the way, right? The wise African blues player or the Native American tribesman, that was the cool cup of water that reverberated like light. And that was the cool cup of water that accentuated like salt, pointing out to what God was and is doing in his life. And I thought, this is just what Jesus was talking about, right? Think about it. The people who, you, who chose to engage you in the midst of your thirst, they witnessed your need, and they met you in it. They changed your life, didn't they? Whatever that thirst was, they noticed it, and they engaged it, and you are changed because of it. As I was thinking about the story, the, I, three stories came to mind for me of moments when people engaged me in whatever need I was. One of them was a good friend of mine, uh, Chris Elrod. He was a pastor out in Lakeland, and he was this rising blog star. He was this former comedian. We met when my band was on tour with him, opening and in just instant bond, like 25 years ago. I'm getting old. The... Um, I met him for the first time, and we've been friends ever since. And he was one of those guys that was the most frank, irreverent pastors, you've, and he would just speak right to whatever you were dealing with. And I remember he we were in Ebor, this is before Element started. We were in Ebor at the Green Iguana for lunch one day, uh, and we're having a burger. And I, whether he knew it or not, like that was one of the most divine appointments for me. I had been wrestling with, like, trying to get my blog more followers, and trying to get on people's podcasts, and trying to make a name for myself. And I was chasing a little bit of celebrity stuff that I was, thought was what was going to make me matter in the world, hence the epidemic we were talking about earlier. And he sat me down, mouthful of cheeseburger, and he says to me, Bobby, do you want to be discovered, or do you want to be developed? Because one is lasting and one is not. And whether he meant it on, as on purpose as he did, I will never forget that conversation, and I will never forget the explosion that happened in my life. And I, don't, I won't tell you that I was instantly cured of whatever I was chasing, but it instantly put everything into perspective. The next one was, Element had started. We were doing—we had had such great success with our Canvas Art Festival that we had been doing for years and years now. And, um, there was a lot of people in our church that were into film, and I was like, oh, let's, let's engage the film community here. So I went out, created relationships with the Tampa Bay Film Commission. We were going to do a film festival with the same heart that Canvas was doing, and or, shaking hands, kissing babies, making connections. We had all these filmmakers were submitting their films, and I was super excited about it. It flopped, by the way, horribly and like painfully flopped. But like I was... Putting all my energy into it, and I, I remember I met a guy who was engaged in the, the film network here in Tampa. His name was Russ Hess, and uh, he was a filmmaker. He was a voiceover actor, and I thought, man, if I can find some gatekeepers, you know, what would happen there? So we met at a Starbucks, and we're sitting out in the parking lot, and we're talking about this, and I'm trying to sell him hard on, like, why I want this guy who doesn't know me from Adam to come be a part of helping us reach the Tampa Bay film community. And he asked me this question, and it seemed so simple. Like, he noticed my thirst, and he said, why are you doing this? And, like, almost without hesitation, it came out, because I want to leave it better than I found it. I want to leave this city better than I found it. And, like, it was like a a light switched in my head, and that phrase has probably guided my life from that day forward. It was Crazy because Russ and his wife Christy ended up becoming part of our church family for years and years and years. And we walked through them noticing the parts of their story as he was noticing the parts of ours. And it was this beautiful, harmonious gospel-like circle, if you will. You know what I mean? And like, wow, explosion. It was beautiful. The last story I'll tell you about, um, I had just gone through a divorce. And I was pretty shaken up. My world was upside down. Everything that I had known, like, or that I had rooted myself in, both professionally, ministry, friendships, all of it was crumbling all around me. Um, and I was starting over, and I, 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 didn't, I didn't know what it was going to look like. And I'll never forget, I was in the living room of Skip and Susan Ross, and she told me that she had had this dream or this vision or saw this or whatever. If you know Susan, like she's super animated as she's telling you a story. And she's the best cheerleader you've ever met in your life, by the way. And she tells me, she's like, I had this idea of, for you, like ministry after divorce. And I thought that you were going to write this book and you're going to tell this story and it's going to be real. And what, I've not written a book called Ministry After Divorce, but what I will tell you is this instant, like, her noticing my wound and probably all the questions that were in my head like am I like is my voice going to matter again? Is my heart going to matter? Is my influence even going to be there did, did I just is everything for loss now? and her just saying that like she 's a friend but she 's a stranger too like she, like in this moment to me because I feel like everybody's a stranger at this moment to me and that I will never forget, explosion, that this is not the end, but this is just another beginning to invite Christ into. They noticed my thirst and gave me a cool cup of water. Not one of those people started a ministry to, to meet me. Right? Not one of those people raised a bunch of money and fundraised to, to meet me. Not one of those things even happened in a church. One happened in a bar, one happened in a parking lot, and one happened in a living room. And every single one of those things were explosions. Every single one of those things had impact. It was like as if Jesus was speaking directly to me. They saw a story. They witnessed their neighbor, me at this time, my story, and they chose to engage. They revealed the God flavors that I had been missing and the God colors that I was too wounded to see or too arrogant to see or too in my own world to see. And it mattered and it changed me. And I would even venture to say That if we're the kind of friends that have any kind of relationship, that explosion probably changed you too because you're listening to the story of it right here and right now. It's crazy that the lasting effects of the simple acts of giving the cool cup of water starting here and starting now, it reverberates. It goes on. It's more than just the water. It is the explosion. It is the noticing. It's the transformation, or as Matthew would say, it's the green light. You know what I mean? It's right there. It's the story that's beginning again. So my questions are these. What if we as followers of Jesus, what if we got good at this? What if we got deliberate about this? What if we became available for this? What if we started small, noticing the need and engaging the story? What if we started asking God how to show us What and who we are missing, so we can be a light that reveals the God colors, so that we can be salt that accentuates the God flavors of their story. The pastor Paul was writing a letter to a brand new church in Rome that's dealing with all sorts of craziness being in Rome, being a part of the empire, but part of the way of Jesus, and unlearning things and relearning things and pointing their hearts towards Jesus. And he says this. Romans chapter 12, verses 1-2. to So here's what I want you to do, he tells his church. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. And don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, Fix your attention on God. And you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and then quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. See, this is what I believe. Our world is hurting. We are hurting. In ways sometimes so small that if you don't look Or if we don't notice, if we don't open our eyes to what is around us, we might miss out on being the very reflection of the Savior that this world so desperately needed in that moment. I'm not saying you are the Savior. What I'm saying is we might be the light that revealed that there is a Savior in that moment. We might have been the salt that accentuated what the Savior was doing in that moment. And if we are too, in our phone, in our own world, in our own stuff, to notice and engage, like, think about all the explosions that could have been happening. People are asking every day, can I get a witness? Somebody notice. Will you see what's happening? Every day, sometimes thousands of times a day, people are asking that same thing. And what if our answer could be, yes. Yes. I'll I'll, I'll witness. Not in a, uh, excuse me, do you have the time kind of way? (laughs) And not in a binder and homework and task kind of way, but in a, man, you look a little thirsty, man. So let me ask you this. What if you being able to say yes, or for some of us old timers, here I am, send me God, or I see you. What if all this also becomes part of Your story, your explosion, your green light. What if in us engaging someone else's story, we see an explosion in them, that very explosion becomes an explosion in our story, and then it keeps going like this. And all of a sudden, it's this amazing light show of what God is doing over and over and over and over and over. And I don't know if Susan or Russ or Chris have ever told those stories of them telling those stories to me, but I imagine maybe in that moment God did something in them as they saw God do something in me through them. And I don't think that's isolated to those three people. I think that it's contagious. You being open to being a light indirectly causes your own world to light up. Us, you, we being open to being a light indirectly causes our own world to light up. So let's ask these questions. What if we made this a part of our daily routine, right? What if we made this a part of who we are? God, can you give me the eyes to see what you're doing and how I can help? That's simple. That's not spiritually deep, even a little bit, and I think it's beautiful. Or how about this? Help me to notice where people are in need today, right? Or how do you want me to pray today? Who do you want me to pray for today? And it, here, here would be my challenge in that, is start small. Jesus said to do it, so you do it, right? Let's start small. A uh, couple, maybe ten years ago, eight years ago, I started this. Man, it was probably way longer than that. The, um, I don't even want to know how old I am. The, um, where when God would put somebody on my heart, like I would reach out to them, as random as it is. Like, and I started trying to create a habit of that. And I will not... I can't go into all those stories today, but I cannot tell you how many times randomly somebody gets put on my heart. I text them, I email them, I call them, I bump into them. I didn't know they were going through this. I didn't know they had this disease. I didn't know their family was falling apart. I didn't know they lost their job. I didn't know they were dealing with depression. I didn't know they just lost their business. I didn't know they just had a baby. Like all these crazy things, you know what I mean? Like that you wouldn't know. I like, there's more times than I could tell you. Like I've and I'm not on Facebook anymore, but there's more times I could tell you like I would scroll through social media and see somebody and like, it was like red light, red light, red light. Like You need to call this person. I I don't even know or start praying for them. Come to find out their world is falling apart and it just so happened to be maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you to give a cold cup of water to somebody. So I would say this. What if we start small? If I'm asking the question, God, who do you want me to notice today? How can I join you? How can I be a, a revealer, an accentuator of what you are doing and then he puts somebody on your heart. What if we take, take a little action on that? Right? And I'm not saying in like, God told me I needed to talk, talk to you today. Uh, here's my text. What, when would you like to have a theological discussion? No, just like, hey man, thinking about you. Right? Hey, just wanted to know, like, you're on my heart. There's a guy named Chris that I met The very first church I served at in Hillsborough County was The Point, right? So down in South Riverview. um, And I randomly met him. If I remember the story correct, because it was a long time ago, like he was a truck driver and showed up at our church one day, and he he liked the music, so we connected, right? Twenty years later, literally 20 years later, like, Our lives are in completely different places. Like he loves Jesus. He's married. Like there's awesome stuff. I have zero relationship with the guy except for what happened in that first church. I without fail, when I need it most, I get a random text from Chris, hey man, I'm just praying for you today. Just I don't know why God put you on my heart. And like I know why God put him on me on his heart. It gets crazy. Like, and I'm sure I'm not the only one he does that to, but like the guy's giving cool cups of water and choosing to notice and like that small act matters. It's, whether it's a m- small explosion or a big explosion, whatever it happens, like, that matters. So I'm going to challenge, Like, what if we took this engagement and began to utilize it, practice it, hone it, become second nature? You know what I mean? It was funny, like, and this isn't a this, please don't hear that, like on the way to church this morning, I see a sign for a feed store, which makes me think of my friend, Bill, who owns a feed store. I haven't talked to Bill in 10 years, and I start thinking about our story. So I, at the next red light, I shoot Bill a text, hey man, you're just on my heart this morning, just want to say thank you for our friendship, boom. I don't know what it's going to do, I don't know if it matters, but like, I want to be obedient and like, when I see that, do it, because I don't know the story that I just jumped in the middle of and what moment that that guy needed to be noticed, right, does that make sense? You with me? Okay. I'm going to tell you a story, and the band can come on up right here. So uh, I coach Little League Baseball for Gabe. It's literally one of my most favorite things in the world to do. Like, if I could be a coach for the rest of my life, Little League, like, I would gladly give everything else up to do this. It's one of my most favorite things. And in there, like, you create relationships with these kids along the way, and their parents. And um, you never know what kind of story these kids are coming from. And... Last season, I, I met uh, a kid named Bruce, and you know he's the same age as Gabe, cool kid. His dad serves in the military. Like we bonded. His name's Don. Like he's in the Air Force. And like, you know, you know Bruce is one of those kids, kind of lower to middle of the pack as far as like athletic ability, uh, could be really good except for up here. He was so hard on himself. I mean, always hard on himself. Like, he would hit a home run and if he struck out the next time, he would literally say, I'm the worst baseball player out here. Like, I mean, he would verbalize just how bad he is at sports, probably 25 times a day. And he's not bad at sports. He's bad up here. He's bad at thinking about himself. And so he puts all this crazy pressure, and we had kind of bonded a little bit, and I just, you know tell him that's wrong, and I would tell him what the truth is at the moment every single time. And so his dad, hey, Coach Bobby, if like next season, if possible, we're going to come back. If you can get Bruce, look, that we would love that. Well, Bruce got picked up by another team before I could draft him. And so like his dad reaches out to me. His dad's overseas. You know, he was just hoping that someone would be there to take care of his boy. So I said, no, I, he's not on my team, but I, I'm gonna, I promise I'll reach out for him. I promise I'll notice him. I'll, I'll look for him. So Bruce would come up and he would kind of try try to trash talk a little bit, which is fun at that age, at 10 years old, right? But really, it's just like, hey, Coach Bobby, do you remember me, basically is what it was every single time. Two weeks ago, we're playing his team and we're crushing them. And um, Bruce is out in left field and and Gabe is up to bat. And Gabe hits a bomb, like a shot. Like, and if Bruce hadn't been there, To knock it down he didn't catch it but if he hadn't been there to knock it down and pick it up it was a home run instantly but he held Gabe to a double and he gets done and he's crying and he's throwing his glove I'm the worst baseball player and I'm third base coach and I can hear him out in left field like like beating himself up and he's not even on my team and he has no clue that he just saved his team from getting annihilated on that one by holding Gabe to a double and I was I was ticked like I was furious and I said Bruce see me after the game like and I'm furious because like this kid just made an amazing play And he, that's his reaction and like the other coach coaches like what's that all about? I was like, I got it man. Don't worry about it. You know, it is mean? not even on my team So he's he's on the team that we had just beat so we we pack up and His mom because his dad was still serving overseas at this time his mom like brings Bruce up to me and I, like and like pull him aside And I said, man, do you like feeling like this? Like what? Like down on yourself all the time. Like do you like feeling bad about this kind of stuff? And he said, you know, little 10-year-old boy, like no, I don't. I said, well, then stop it. Like you're the only one that is doing this to you. I want you to do good. Your team wants you. Your coach wants you. We believe in you. You're here. Like if you don't like feeling this way, then stop doing this to yourself, man. Like, and you could just see like a little bit of his I don't know if it changed his life at all, but like you could just see like,, okay, you know what I mean?" And like, like I think about, maybe not even for Bruce, maybe for Bruce, but I think about for his dad, like a he's out, to know that somebody would notice his son enough to pull him aside, even though he's on the wrong team, to encourage him and to believe in him and to hope in, in him or form him in a deliberate way. I feel like that's a cool cup of water that. We as people who have been saved, who have been blessed, who have been given mercy and grace that we don't deserve, like, man, like, I want us to be good at that. Like, I don't know if it's an explosion for him, but it was an explosion for me. Knowing that, like, okay, the little things it's baseball, but it matters if we engage each other with the heart of God at each time. Paul, to that same church in Rome, says this in Matthew 15. Or excuse me, in Romans 15. That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding other people's troubles. But he waited right in and helped out. He says, I took on the troubles of the troubled, is the way scripture puts it. And even if it was written in scripture long ago, you can be sure that it's written for us. God wants the combination of his steady constant calling and warm personal counsel in scripture to come and characterize us keeping us alert for whatever he will do next and then his prayer is for his church there and i think his prayer is the same for us may our dependably steady and warmly personal god develop maturity in you so that you'll get along with each other as well as jesus gets along with us all then We'll be a choir and not our voices only but our very lives singing in harmony and a stunning anthem to our god and father and master jesus christ so my challenge is for us what if we started asking those questions what if we deliberately started noticing What if when the Holy Spirit puts somebody on our heart or we see an injustice or we notice that nobody's noticing, we engage? What if we're alertly expectant to what our Master Jesus is going to do next and then we start small, we start here, and we see explosions and green lights happening all over the place? And what if that will be the thing that not only changes our world, but changes us too. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that this is a place where people speak into each other. Um, I pray that this assignment to be the light and to be the salt and not have to start with huge campaigns and logos and things like that, God, that we can start just here and we can start small. God, I pray that that would be, that would be something we could get behind. And I pray, God, that that would be something that would matter. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us a generous spirit to generously give our lives. Because you gave yours first. We thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.